0: Here we go. You'll love this take. Love there's no take. It's just I know what's coming down yeah. the line. So you as well just say it now. What am I? What am I gonna say? Does this rhyme with Jenny Gel? <laughs>
1: I'm a big believer in the AAF. Lifelong, lifelong Arizona Hotshots fan. <laughs> this this one hurts. This one hurts because it's not even like your team left and moved to a different city. Like it's just dead. It does not exist
0: okay Now, if we jump together, at least we can swim far away from the wreck we made. Then only for a minute.
1: I'm not going down to anyone's basement. Piss me off, Harry. I
0: want to raise your spirits. <laughs> I want to see you smile. No, that means I'll have to think. the shaft very tight. Hello! It is Tuesday, April 30th, 2019. And I wanted to just get right into it real quick because I know our special friend isn't here today, as you could probably guess. Nine times out of ten, he doesn't show up to these. He doesn't respond to his texts or anything. So if you come to listen to Bundy, you're sadly gonna be without him this week. And I know that's a shame, but uh don't think there's too many people that say that. Right. <laughs> But, I just want to highlight that this jackass (laughs) completely whiffed on our bet. I have the audio. I can go get it later, but I wanted to save it to when he would be here. But, like I said, the jackass made the deal with me that Benny Snell, the running back from Kentucky, would go before 73 and a half in terms of the overall pick in this past weekend's draft. He wasn't even close to it. He went 122nd. That's 49 picks later than where our cutoff line was. And now he owes me a bottle of some type of liquor I've never even heard of before. So, you know what? It's a great day for me. And I had all the confidence in the world. And honestly, I was going to give him the 100 line. I was actually going to give him 100 and a half. Yeah. But he went down to 73 and a half. And you know what? I actually got nervous at one point because I believe the last team that picked at 73 I think it was the Bears that were on the clock, and they took that David Montgomery out of Iowa State. Uh I was sweating (laughs) when I found out that was a running back. I believe Snell was either the first or second running back taken after that pick. Okay. So, yeah, he was taken 49 picks later than the cutoff, but honestly, that's all based off a need and what teams need and who's there, who's picking and whatnot. Right. But I still was going to give them that 100 spot just – if I was my worst line, I could have given myself to be comfortable with. That's what I would have gone with. And he gave me an extra 20-something spots, which is yeah. perfect. Yeah. Well, plus
1: two, we'll we'll uh, we'll keep our eyes on him with him being in the AFC North, so we can just kind of shove that in Bundy's yeah, face all. Yeah, that
0: sucked. I mean, first off, you always kind of expect this with that team, but they drafted really, really well. Yeah. Like, it was scary well. They were taking guys I wanted left and right. Obviously, Justin Lane, who I wasn't as high on. I wasn't putting the second round grade. I was happy we got greedy where we got him. We'll touch on that here in a bit. But they were taking, like, really solid guys that were really good in college. And quite honestly, those are the type of guys you like to take your risk on going into the next level. It doesn't always pan out. But you know what? I sure as hell would like to get that guy that performed well at that level, take him and take his odds going into our level and seeing how he does. Right, yeah. But uh, just to open things up tonight, I wanted to make this comment, and I, I feel for people that aren't big sports fans. Now, obviously, if you're listening to this, that's only the only reason why you're listening to this is because you are a big sports fan, because if you weren't, quite honestly, what are you doing here? But I felt it the previous night, as in Sunday night, when everybody that's big Game of Thrones fans and the big thing with thrones is that it's like it's a worldwide show almost everybody watches it it seems like except for myself and it's a big online social media thing like i swear i have blocked or muted a hundred different words that i've seen that had to do anything with game of thrones and there's still new stuff coming out that slides into my timeline
1: see i don't mute it on my twitter i just ignore it like
0: sunday i just could not Go on Twitter. You can't. And it it brings into my mind why I brought up non-sports fans. That has to be how they feel almost every, quite honestly, it could be almost every day. But any of the big sporting events, the national championships, the Super Bowl, the NBA finals, you name it. Right. Like, that has to suck for them.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I can't imagine. It's just, I don't know, it's foreign to me and obviously you as well, just like people who don't pay attention to sports as much. And like... So, get this. So, someone came into the team shop today. He was, said he was visiting from Colorado. He didn't know that we had a professional hockey team.
0: From Colorado, <laughs> and he didn't know Columbus was like Columbus, Ohio?
1: Yeah. Well, he didn't know that the Columbus Blue Jackets was a professional team, like an NHL team.
0: Did you ask how big of a like avalanche fan he was then?
1: I asked him if he liked the avalanche. That's kind of what led into him saying that he didn't realize Columbus had a team.
0: I guarantee you, he's not a fan. Then, I—I I mean, no. you had—I mean, if you're not a hockey fan, I don't—I can understand that. I, I guess I feel like if you—but <sighs> you can't claim to be a fan of a team and not know the location of a team <laughs> in said league. Like that right. doesn't make any sense.
1: It's just like okay, I understand this is the first year we won a playoff series, so like we don't get out there as much nationally. But how do you not know one of 31 teams?
0: I mean, if, if anything, I could understand like. Maybe, like, Winnipeg. Um, I don't know, like, yeah, that's say, the thing with hockey uh, like, they're in, like, a lot of big cities. Okay, for instance, maybe, like, the Florida Panthers. Yes, you probably understand Florida, uh-huh. but you probably couldn't guess that it was, like, I think it's, like, Sunrise, Florida or something like that. It was not right outside of Miami. Oh, is it all the way down there? I f- yeah. think. I uh, well, be- if I'm
1: wrong, then I'm going to feel bad for dragging this dude.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, it's, it's teams like that. I could understand that, but, like... The team name Columbus is in the title. If you feel like you know hockey, you should probably get, be pretty sure it's the state capital of Ohio and not Columbus, Georgia, Columbus, Mississippi. Right? Yeah. No, he was just completely
1: oblivious. I gave him a little rundown of uh, how we grew uh, from the Columbus Chill, and then they they had to die to make room for the for the Blue Jackets.
0: Wow, that's uh, it. Yeah. Really puts it into perspective, though. I mean. We're what? Columbus is like the 14th largest city in the United States in terms of population. But on the grand scheme of things, when you go outside of the state itself, we're kind of a, it's kind of an unknown factor to the city. Yeah. For a lot of people. Yeah. But yeah. uh no, yeah, it's, I'm sorry to any of those non-sports fans out there that ever come across any sports stuff on your timelines or whatever. I felt your pain last night or Sunday night and continuously feel it. On most Sunday nights. Uh, luckily for us, there's only three more Sundays we have to deal with this. So we're good. For good. Like, okay. done for good. And I'll never understand that people that want to watch, like, grown adults that want to watch movies involving dragons and medieval time <laughs> and whatnot, but that's yeah, not for I'll, me to judge. That's a hot take, and I, trust me, if you stop no, not listening gonna, to this pod right now because I said that, I'm okay with that.
1: No, I, I'm not, I'll accept it. I'm not going to drag thrones. Like, I... I don't. I've tried to get into it multiple times, and then it's gotten to the point where I just, because I got HBO Go for free and at uh, at Dayton. So now that I don't have that, like I'm not paying for it, nor do I feel the need to pay for it. But now I'm I'm not gonna drag it. It wasn't terrible. It's just I don't know. I feel like it was a lot of build up so far of what I've seen. I feel like that's the first seven seasons of the show is just building up to these final four episodes
0: but that also ties into the point that i was saying about like so many different names i had to mute and whatnot there's like 60 different main big characters you have to remember yeah i can only focus on like five things at once
1: <laughs> yeah i don't know if you have the attention span no for
0: absolutely not you know what i actually binged last night that bear girls or growls that his there you real. versus i don't know how to pronounce his last name you versus the wild where you actually like participate in the mission okay you like choose what he decides to do I only had to make them quit the mission three different times in the nine (laughs) episode series. So I think I was doing pretty well.
1: Okay. That's not terrible.
0: Um, But obviously we're not here to talk about TV shows,
1: but we could do that on a different day. I will point out I am correct. Um, The Florida Panther. Well, you are correct as well. It's in Sunrise, Florida. But it is in the part of the Miami metropolitan area. So I was also correct.
0: Okay, that makes All sense. All right, so
1: back to uh, shame on you, Colorado <laughs> person, for not knowing that the Columbus Blue Jackets exist.
0: I will say here at work, with that take ahead on Game of Thrones, I'd probably be disowned. Uh, no, I, I, I'd probably be yeah. blackmailed. I'd probably be, <laughs> I'd probably be disowned by the studio itself. But it's whatever. You know what? I take my lumps and bruises as we go. But we're not here to talk about that stuff. We're here to talk about Cleveland sports. And what better way to start off than this draft this past weekend? First off, how much of it did you get to see?
1: Um, I, I watched the first round up until probably around like pick 20-ish or so uh, just to see if Dorsey was going to make any moves up. And then I decided that MLB The Show was calling me. <laughs> so then I, I went that round and then had my phone by me in case uh, in case he did make a move. Just because That first round is so long. It like is, that-
0: but it's it's more of a TV show than anything else. I mean, if you follow along close enough, most of the time when they're announcing a pick, they're almost on to two picks after it in terms of the actual oh, yeah. draft itself. Yeah, for sure. It's a TV show. They want, you know, they want to drag it out. It went from 8, I think start, like coverage time started at 8. They didn't make the first pick announced until like 8.30. Which is ridiculous considering that it was the Arizona. Like, I understand what the Cardinals
1: would do. I'm not going to be that ignorant sports fan that says, oh, you've had months to decide on this why why don't you just make your pick right away so obviously you're waiting it out to see if anyone's going to make any last minute offers to you so i'm not going to be that ignorant sports fan but at the same time like that is
0: ridiculous 30 minutes like we're let's think about this we're a long way away from where we were maybe even like 10 15 years ago where obviously different cbas were in line rookies, especially the first-round rookies, especially first-overall guys, were making insane amount of money, like Sam Bradford. But more importantly, the guy I want to point out is Jake Long, the Michigan tackle that went yeah. to Miami. I mean, weeks heading into the draft, they were already drafting up a contract. Like, it was being reported by everybody. It was common knowledge. He was going to be the pick. They had at least a deal written in place heading into that draft night.
1: Right, which is ridiculous to think about because not too long ago, Joey Bosa like didn't sign his rookie deal until. So I just mean there's so much contrast
0: there. It's a lot different because of the CBA. Oh, well, right, right. It's a lot of the language being put into contracts. And if you remember, Bosa held out because of how it was going to be written or how, at least how the Chargers wanted to write into his contract, how his signing bonus money was going to be allocated. And he wanted it front loaded while. Uh, San Diego prefers to do it backloaded in terms of right. gar- it goes into the guaranteed money category. Right. But in terms of this draft in the first round, I think if you wanted to bring up surprises, your easiest go to has to be with Daniel Jones going to the Giants. And it's not even just that pick, but it's the way Dave Gettleman defended it the day after. And honestly, this past couple of days. Yeah. The way he's had to defend this is well, crazy. He, I mean, just as of this recording earlier in the day, he says, "quote Let's see how crazy I am in three years in regards to this pick." If he has a job in three years, right, <laughs> right. But it's I think that's more along. He was answering for the comment where he said, "There's a chance that Jones could sit for three more years behind a pay or not Peyton Eli Manning, <laughs> who's he thinks in his eyes he tries to claim that." Manning's still good. I mean, were we watching the same player last season? He's Uh, not. No. You want that guy
1: of the future now. Right. Well, and plus two, Daniel Jones has been described as a uh, Eli Manning with less swag, which I don't even think that's possible. It's
0: not. He doesn't have the arm talent. He is nowhere near the arm talent of what the Mannings have. The only reason why he's getting this comparison is because he was coached by David Clarkcliffe.
1: Uh, no, when they when the Giants announced that pick, I just
0: died laughing for a solid like five minutes. Like that's absolutely hilarious. Now Cutcliffe will always defend his players and he did very well with Daniel Jones, but it's clear as day. If you watch the final game, his senior or I don't know, was he a senior? Or was he an early entry? I think his, he's senior. Yeah, his last game at home was that game against Wake Forest. They lost fifty nine to seven. Wake Forest was one of the worst defenses in the power five last year. You don't believe me? Go watch the game against Memphis in the Liberty Bowl. It was horrendous. Uh, Well, or whatever bowl it was. But besides the point, he only put up seven points on really bad defenses. And if you watch his game, it's he's very raw. Right. Like he's he's a pro style quarterback, which I know Gettleman loves. That's the style Manning is. So if that's really what he's looking for, great. But, his, like I said, his arm talent, his arm strength are just not there. His deep ball accuracy, not there. He's a work in progress. Yeah. Yes, three years for him is ideally what you want, but not for a first-round pick, number six overall, and a guy that's behind an aging quarterback that quite honestly should be gone already because he was benched two years ago. Right. Well, I mean, here, here's
1: my take on it. I think Gettleman just didn't want to deal with the pressure from fans to— Take Eli out midseason this year. So then he drafted someone that he knew that he wouldn't have that pressure to.
0: That's a really weird way to think about it. But honestly, the way he's defending this, can you really take that out of the question? No, you can't. I mean, uh,
1: honestly, too, like I can't. Well, because we, Gettleman was saying too that he knew for a fact that two teams were going to take him. So that's uh, so. Th- he was using that to justify why he didn't want to wait until 17. And multiple
0: guys have called that BS. Benjamin yes. Albright, one of the most tuned-in guys I, I love him to death. He's out in Denver. He's one of the most tuned-in guys in the the sport. And quite honestly, everybody should follow him if you love the NFL. He said that's just flat-out baloney. He, well, he he had got guys in terms of, like, GMs contact him and say, this guy isn't even, like, middle, second round on our board.
1: Well, see, what I can, what I can see is they heard that Gettleman might be looking into it. So then them just calling or like kind of leaking out, oh, we might go uh, take Daniel Jones just to see if he would actually be stupid enough to take him at six.
0: It's all a mind game, man.
1: Yeah, no, 1% is. I think Gettleman fell for it. I mean, obviously time will tell. And the fact that Haskins is going to the Redskins and we'll get to that matchup. will be there two times every season. I think is
0: hilarious. So that's clearly the biggest storyline of the draft, was one pick in the top 10 that just blew everybody away. Um, If you really need to see some reaction videos, I know there's one of MetLife Stadium where the Giants were hosting a draft party, and it was an ugly scene. (laughs) Um, But in terms of the Browns draft, let's go over it real quick, just step by step with each guy. First off, we pick 46, a trade up a couple spots to this forty six spot to pick Greedy Williams, which I honestly believe at this spot was a steal. There's no reason why Greedy Williams, the cornerback out of LSU, should have been on the board at this point. His The knocks on him are ridiculous. You're not drafting a cornerback for his run-stopping ability, his, right. his short tackling. You're drafting this guy because of his covering. Right. You're not, I mean, you took Denzel Warden in the top 10 last year, and he's not known... Or this run stopper or his tackling can be suspect at times. Well, to the point that he hurt himself not Trying to tackle not guns. being able to know how to tackle.
1: Right. And what I've seen on Greedy, too, is he's an ankle tackler, which for me, I would I love to see that. Just like go for the ankles. Don't get your head touched in any way, shape or form. You'll be fine. But fact- also, too, you skipped over our first-round pick, by the way.
0: <laughs> Odell Beckham. Odell right. at 17. You're right. Which I mean, honestly, putting that together, your first two picks technically are Odell Beckham and Greedy Williams. Yes. That's incredible. Yes. Like Greedy got knocked and fell down boards because of a statistic or a, a his style of play that honestly shouldn't affect him 90 to 95 percent of the time, because you're drafting him for his cover skills. And he's the best in this draft at that. You got the best corner in terms of covering guys at pick number 46. It's a steal. It's a steal in all the definition of it. I I just it's the same people. We'll talk about this actually. It's in the third segment. The people that knocked Josh Rosen for things that were just completely unbelievable. We have a story about that later on we got to touch on. Um third round, pick 80, 80 overall is a guy I really liked coming into this draft because he was a linebacker that just plays with reckless. Like he's so reckless. He's gonna fly around and throw his head into the mix and quite honestly It's what you expect out of like a AFC North linebacker and it's Sione Takitaki from BYU had early uh, Personality issues early in his career at BYU got into a lot of trouble, but honestly fixed himself late in his career at BYU cleaned up really well and coaches and players at BYU could not rave about him enough Uh, This guy, like I said, he's a prototypical just fly-around-the-field linebacker. If he can kind of hone in on his coverage skills, he could see the field a lot this year. But it was a little bit early for the spot where I think you could have taken him. Not only that, I feel like he's got to grow into himself a little bit in terms of the pro game. But... I don't hate the pick. Like I my immediate reaction was is that I like his style. I like what he can bring to the team. It might have been a little bit early on the selection of him, but I mean, go watch his tape of that game against Wisconsin. He was flying around the field. I don't know how you could knock that. Right. Right. Yeah, plus two. How can you not like the name talkie talkie? Yeah. And then we'll get on to our fourth round pick, Sheldrick Redwine. Sheesh. Safety out of Miami, Florida. Um, I'm going to be quite honest with you. I didn't know a whole lot about him when this pick was made. I kind of forgot about him. He's actually one of the main reasons why the turnover chain was brought in at Miami. He's a ball-hawking safety is kind of where I would put him in the mix. He's a very decent tackler. I, going into day three, was expecting the Browns to target Deontay Thompson out of Alabama. They ended up passing on him for Sheldrick, and I don't have any issues with it. This guy's not going to start right away. He's kind of going to grow into himself. Um, I expect him to play behind Demarius to begin with, but honestly, depending on how Morgan Burnett is, he could probably fill in that role later on. Maybe a year or two down the line.
1: Yeah, I feel like that's a lot of, especially if you're not first or even second round, that's what it's really going to be, just kind of developmental. See how you fit along,
0: get a feel for the pro game. And then going into the fifth round at 155, we got, quite honestly, in my opinion, it was between this guy and Grady Williams for the steals of the draft. Mac Wilson, the linebacker out of Alabama. This guy's an instinctual middle linebacker. That's about the best way I can put it. He's going to be able to control your middle linebacker core for the next 8 to 10 years, depending on what you decide to do with Joe Schober, which he's, his name's been thrown around in trade discussions. Mm-hmm. So if Mac can show he's worthy enough of starting in that position— that might make it more easy. It might make it easier for them to get rid of Schobert. I don't expect them to. At the very least, that's a hell of a rotation between a guy that's played at a high level at Alabama and Schobert in the middle.
1: Right. And honestly, I trust for the most part. I trust any player that comes out of Alabama because Saban runs a tight ship down there. So I, I I like this pick a lot.
0: And then going with the second fifth round pick because we traded what the I believe is the middle fifth round pick in the package that went to move up to get Greedy Williams. Yeah. Um, It was kicker Austin Seibert out of Oklahoma. Funny statistic. I know you sent it along to me. Seibert broke the points record by none other than Zane Gonzalez out of Arizona State. (laughs) Um, We hope Austin doesn't have the same career arc as Zane in terms of his time in Cleveland. But it was a very interesting—I'm going to say it right now. It was a very interesting pick to make in the fifth round because I believe the fifth round, in terms of a lot of GMs, is their money round. You get the, the value picks. Last year, it was Jannard Avery. Knocked it out of the park in terms of what Dorsey did with that fifth round pick. Right. <clears throat> I'm just saying this right now, and I've heard Dorsey's comments today about, you know, it's good for the kicker, kicker competition. They're happy with Greg Joseph. Um, I also saw Dustin Fox from 92.3 in Cleveland— Kind of say this: You are not happy with your kicker, obviously. If you are drafting one in the fifth round, yeah, oh, it's as easy not. as that. Right, you you can't play that smoke screen, right? Because it's obvious. Well, one thing I love
1: about this too is that uh, we got this pick uh, as a part of the Josh Gordon trade with the Patriots. That's amazing. So, and looking at uh, Josh Gordon's production with the Patriots last year, he scored three touchdowns. That's eighteen points. So, we are looking for nineteen points out of Cybird, and the Browns will have won the trade with the Patriots. That's what I'm putting it at. It's
0: amazing. Wow. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Um, we want to move on to round six real quick. Uh Drew Forbes, the guard out of southeast Missouri State. I've been hearing from a lot of the top end guys in the business in terms of scouts that this guy is one of the sleepers in this draft. Most notably, I heard it from Scott Dryden. You can find him at Brown Scout on Twitter. He's very good with all this stuff. Um, Drew, in terms of watching this tape, obviously he's very raw in terms of athleticism but this guy is as strong as they come and he's I mean he's a, hes 305 pounds he's kind of on the heavier side that's why you want to move him into the guard slot and quite honestly this is this is depth at this point especially in the sixth round right it's all drafting for depth and you know maybe if you're lucky enough he can be a starter one day for you but I'm never going to hate a pick that helps solidify the offensive line, which quite honestly can be a little bit of a question mark going into this year, especially with Austin Corbett moving into that guard spot where Kevin Zeitler is leaving.
1: Right. And we still don't know what we have really with Robinson either, a left tackle.
0: Do we though? I mean – we signed we resigned him to a one year deal. He was rather right. he was decent.
1: Right, he was decent, but it's just like we don't know I feel like he hasn't played long enough for us to know for certain that okay, he's a uh, lockdown left tackle for us.
0: Right, which is why I believe they only signed him to a one year right. deal. Right, right. And if you're curious, I believe they might attack that position harder in the draft next year. Yeah. Probably that earth safety, honestly. Right. Um Yeah, I can see that for sure. But no, I I believe building within the interior of your offensive line is always a solid move. Um, Drew does have the flexibility to play at tackle. That's actually where he played in college. So if it ever came to that and he produced at a high level, Uh that could be your safety valve. Yeah. And then last but not least, your seventh round pick. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I know nothing about him, but it's Donnie Lewis out of Tulane, another cornerback. Dorsey said it all along in this offseason. You can never have too many good cornerbacks, especially in a league that's turned into such a passing league within the last 15, 20 years. If he works out, great. If he doesn't, you know what? You keep on searching. Right. Like, you're not losing a whole lot there. Right, yeah. All right, when we come back, we're going to discuss all the happenings going on with the Tribe, and someone's hitting 0 for 16, and I can see Zach (laughs) smirking over there. It's a quick talking hockey here before we dive into tribe stuff. Like I told you, this music right here gets the juices flowing. I actually didn't talk to you about this yet on the way home cuz obviously that goal that Duchesne had. uh uh-huh. I was about like 5 minutes from being home. Yeah, so I was listening to Bo- the- I was listening to Bobby Mac and Right, yeah, me too. Uh Jody on the home with the jackets. 97 won the fan. Um, I we were sitting in that Top Golf lounge uh-huh. during the first overtime, and it's just never comfortable. Like overtime no. and playoff hockey is never comfortable. And we no. had that twice last year, right? And won twice, and then we lost one. And <laughs> I missed three on three overtime hockey. We were good at that. Yes, we were, buds.
1: Well, shout out also to the guy. This just goes to show the lack of knowledge that people have about the sport of hockey in general. Overheard a gentleman, as we were sitting at Top Golf say, oh, we, we got to score here because you don't want to go into a shootout against the Bruins.
0: Yeah, it wasn't the proudest day for the man, and he was all juiced up in his BJ's gear, but... Uh, hate to see it. <laughs> you, hate you, to see it. You really hate to see it. Um, But as of this recording, so it's going to be tonight, as in Tuesday night, game three. I almost want to call it the rubber match. Like, whoever wins this game, honestly, is going to take control of the rest of the series and how it's dictated. Right. And I, I after we
1: won, I, I feel so confident now. So confident.
0: Although, can we talk real quick about that? I, I don't even know what Bob was doing in that first overtime where he was kind of, like, overslid the goal uh-huh. and had to come and reach back and save it. Like, where are you going? The puck was easily coming right to you.
1: I'm not going to yell at Bob. I no, did enough of that. No, absolutely not. But
0: it's just like, <laughs> that's the stuff, where especially when you're, your blood pressure is really high in that moment, right. that doesn't make it a whole lot better. No. And I, it made me nervous going into... Overtime number two, I'm like, how is he going to handle this? Was that maybe he had the jitters there? I
1: I don't know. I mean, if we would have lost game two, I was about to send a text to, to Dabo and Lou, much like I did after the first period of game one of the first series when I pronounced the BJs dead. I was going to pronounce them dead again and see if it would create a resurrection of sorts.
0: Um, You wanted to to give a reverse jinx Is what you're talking about Yeah,
1: I meant it the first time but then the second time Was just going to be okay this worked the first time So let's see if it'll There's still a little magic in the hat
0: So I have to Go down and work some of our On set stuff down there and I'm actually going to go in with my pass I guarantee you that first series against the lightning I went to game It was three? No I went to game four Was it game four? Yes Yes, I went... No, no, it was Sunday. It was three. I went to game three. You're right. It was game three. I couldn't hear myself think. So much so that the cannon went off twice, actually, at the end of that game after... Yeah, I saw your snap video. Yeah. I only heard one. But I I was told the cannon went off twice. And where you sit (laughs) in the press box, you literally sit over top of where the cannon's located. That's how loud it was in that stadium. I can't even imagine how... Or arena. I can't even imagine how loud it's going to be for game three.
1: See, I, I, I saw the idea of floating around. They should bring in a second cannon. Put but where, it... where are you gonna put that? That uh, nah, doesn't matter. Put it in between the in between the benches. Just have, just fill up the entire concourse with cannons. Fire them all off.
0: It's fine. <laughs> I guess. I mean. Oh, should get a cannon for every playoff series we win. You know what? You bring <laughs> that up with. The uh, marketing team over there at Nationwide Boulevard, and I'm sure they'll get back to you on that. Well,
1: I've got a connection with someone in, with uh, in sales over there, so I'll uh, I'll text her and shoot her the idea.
0: No, well, there you go, <laughs> easy as that. Um, but for this segment, we want to touch on real quick what's going on with the tribe, and you always have to take a deep <laughs> breath because it's it's this team, and you just you know what you're getting yourself into. Um, they never let you stay too high. It was. A tale of two weeks, I'll put it at that. Like, yeah. there was highs of the highs, and there was the lowest of the lows. And the way I mean that is the first two games of the four-game stint against the Houston Astros, uh, the tail end of this past week, was fantastic. You know, you take a 2-0 lead in that series. That's all I was looking for going into that four-game stretch. Oh, if
1: we would have won one, I would have been happy. Well... I, I'm, like I said, I'm going into this... This entire season, I'm just being pessimistic. You want to be
0: competitive. Like Taking a split and getting out of there is a win.
1: What I want and what I was expecting are two different things. That's true, too.
0: But a split was, you know, you're winning. That was perfect. That's all I wanted going into Miami for this two-game stint against the Marlins. You got that in the first two games. So you get a little greedy. You're like, you know what? Hey, four-game sweep's not out of the possibility. Right. You lose the third game and— walk-off fashion on the home run that, go figure, it's Adam Simber that gives it up. Um, But you're not too upset. You're like, okay, whatever. I mean, it's still a good team. It happens. It happens. But to see the way things went in game four just made it all feel not as good as you were hoping it to. No. Like, Cookie dealing through six innings. Gets to the seventh, and notably, it's his third time through the... Uh, lineup for the Astros, and this season alone, when he's gone through the third time with a lineup, his opponent's batting average is over four seventy one. That's not so. Good. That, you want to get him out before that happens, obviously. <laughs> and Carl Willis obviously was just trying to ride the hot hand, I guess.
1: Right, and, and it's that's just the like, only oh, way I could put it. Yeah, it's like okay, I'll give you, I'll give you one guy. Or a couple hits, and then it's just like, okay. Well,
0: because we didn't have anyone warming up in the pen when Torinos hit that home run, right? We were up when. Uh, no. The home run happened after they tied it. Right. I know that they, they tied on it. On a double all. by Yuli Gurria. Yeah,
1: which was about five feet from being a bomb itself. That's true. But we. Uh, am I correct that we didn't have anyone warming up when Torinos hit that home run? Ooh. I uh, I don't think we did. I don't I, know. I, I, I feel like you. Didn't because you would have brought him in after giving up a three-run absolute bomb. It's absolutely destroyed out of the stadium in Houston.
0: Well, I'm sure they were getting guys going, but I mean, I, I, here, here's the sequence: you got uh, Michael Brantley hit a single, like a bloop single. Okay, yeah. happens. Oh, poor Michael. And then immediately Guriel hits that double that's high off the wall, makes a horrible bounce that goes almost all the way back to Lindor. It actually got all the way to him. Right. And by the time he could get the ball in, you know, Brantley's right. already scored. Right, yeah. So there's your tied 1-1. One, one. I'm thinking they probably started getting guys going, and they got the pen up and, you know, heavy throwing right away. But well, they weren't going to be anywhere near ready to go out onto the field at that point, so he had to go and pitch uh, to the next two guys, and eventually got to Torino's, who hit the three the three run bomb.
1: Right, and I just knowing that about okay, obviously you know about Cookie and his about his the opponent's batting average going around uh, the third time. Yes, I'm assuming Willis has to know
0: this. Yeah, oh, of course,
1: and that's a thing. So why the hell are you not warming somebody up as soon as you get to the seven or seven eight nine guy the second time? As soon as there's any sign of trouble after that, going going into that third time around, pull them.
0: I think I might have it wrong. Was it the seventh or eighth inning? It might have been the eighth.
1: No, it was the seventh. Because the seventh. Yeah, Cookie okay. Cookie pitched uh, six and two thirds.
0: That's that's okay. That's right. Because in the inning beforehand was when he first took his steps into that third spot in the rotation because Brantley was hitting fourth. Uh huh. So he had already gotten through the hard part of that. So Trinus, yeah, Trinos was
1: what, 7, 8? Eight? 8th. Trinos was hitting 8th.
0: Yes, that does make sense. So he already, in the 5th, he already have touched into that third time into the rotation, started going through it. Right. I, maybe it, they felt comfortable that he started off in that one, two, three of that rotation or well, that, that lineup was fine and would try to see if they could stretch him maybe an inning.
1: I, I mean, could see that. No, that's fine. You can try and do that, but also at the same time, have somebody going in the pen in case... At any sign of trouble, then that way you could pull them out. Because I mean, the Indians are off today, so there was you could have pitched one guy three innings, you could have pitched three guys one inning, you could have done whatever you wanted because no one's pitching today, obviously.
0: Right, and a guy you just called up after his rehab stint, Tyler Clifford's a he's a great guy to throw multiple innings in that spot. If you felt that was the case, I agree with you. I feel like they might have been too comfortable with a low pitch count, you yeah. know uh Carrasco was averaging maybe like thirteen, fourteen pitches an inning his he was around eighty pitches going into that seventh inning. Like he was perfectly fine.
1: Right. I mean I'm also too since when is it a bad thing though to pull a guy after eighty innings and when it's April.
0: Or eighty pitches. Right. Yeah, well, yeah that's what I meant. <laughs> you're talking about the rotation with the heavy most heavily used pitchers in it especially last season. Like, Tito was notorious for running guys deep. I think Bauer threw, like, 124 pitches this week against Houston.
1: Well, Bauer's a—he's a, the exception. Bauer's just a—he's an odd dude. And if he—if it were up to him, he'd throw 200 pitches. <laughs> yeah, it probably would be. I mean, he he's, uh, he's just an odd dude with that. Like, I love him, but—
0: uh, This team, dude. This team. No, it's rough, but— The good thing is, is that, you know, you've taken your lumps, you're only two games back of the Twins, who have had one of the easiest stretches in their schedule they're going to have all year. And then, on the flip side, you're going to go through one of the easiest stretches in your entire schedule, which is nice to have. Right. You have a two-game stand at the Marlins, then you return home for a long homestand, it looks like six games, you have three against the Mariners, and then four or seven games and then you have four against the White Sox, then you'll head back on the road for the a West Coast trip. This is this is so weird how it's supposed to be a West Coast trip. So they go all the way out to Oakland, but then they're gonna come back and play two games against the White Sox and then start another homestand.
1: That's not a road trip. That's just uh, So
0: they're like they're going that, all the way that'd... out west for like three games and then coming back.
1: Yeah, so you play the White Sox Six times in nine days.
0: Yeah, that looks right. And then you follow that up with a four-game stint against the Orioles, and then you finish your series with the A's at home.
1: This schedule.
0: So you're going up all the way through the end of May, pretty much, with a rather favorable schedule. You would hope to win every one of those series going out. Yeah. And that should put you in a spot where you're heading into the summer months the high, the high part of the season, in terms of baseball, being in the thick of things right there with the Twins. Because, quite honestly, we can't disrespect what they got going on. I know I did in the preseason picking the White Sox as my, my runner-up in the division, and that's looking way off. Um...
1: Nearly uh five games back of the Twins with the White Sox.
0: Honestly, though, that's actually that's a lot better than I was thinking.
1: Yeah, three three behind the Indians, five behind the Twins.
0: Yeah, that's actually not as bad as I thought.
1: Um, I think it's just because that you have the Tigers in there, in right. between the that separates. Right.
0: Uh, but with the Twins, it's it was never going to be a question about their hitting. Right. You know, I I expected them to be within the top ten in offense. It was going to be how the the starting pitching in the bullpen held up. More importantly, I thought it was the bullpen. I there was a lot of questionable names in that bullpen. Uh, you had guys like Blake Parker, who was, I don't know, washed up's the right term, but uh, the A's kind of ties with him, and the A's or not the A's, the Angels, and the Angels have had a pretty suspect bullpen in the past several years, and they replaced Blake Parker with Cody Allen, nonetheless. But uh, guys like that in their pen that you couldn't really trust and could quite honestly give us a run for our money in terms of worst bullpen in the division. <laughs> I know uh, I'm over-exaggerating there, but.
1: Well, it feels like it.
0: It's a tale of two different sides w- with that team. I mean, outside of Jose Barrios, the starting pitching for the Twins isn't really impressive. I mean, you have uh, Jake Odorizzi. Uh, crap, I can't forget, remember his <laughs> name. Gibson. Yeah. Like, guys like that were, like, middle-of-the-road average pitchers for bad teams. I know Odorizzi was, like, a four-point-something ERA guy with the Rays. Uh, Gibson hasn't been anything better than, like, a high 3.0 ERA guy with the Twins. Like, it's a tale of two different teams, but if they can get it meshing together, this is going to go into September. Yeah.
1: And then uh, to throw it around the league too, as you mentioned Cody Allen earlier, he is now on the uh, 10-day IL uh, with a lumbar spine strain. After he he had a rough uh, rough couple outings and then uh, lost his job as a closer, so they are going with a uh, closer by committee, and then they just threw him on the on the DL or IL excuse.
0: And how about Brian Shaw bounce back season? He had an ERA (laughs) over seven last year and a WHIP of over two. And has now fought back, I think his ERA's around like 160-something. And his whip's pretty low. I kind of forgot he existed. He's pretty low, and he's actually moved all the way up, and he's fighting for the setup role right now over there in Colorado.
1: Well, good for him. He learned how to not give up bombs in Colorado. He's only
0: got like two pitches, though. So if, if one goes bad, though, he's gonna, that ERA's going to skyrocket real fast.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we know. We know the best and the worst of Brian Shaw.
0: Yeah, you're right. And what else could we use this music for with Bundy's team, the Red Sox? We're still one of the laughingstocks (laughs) in baseball. Chris Sale has like a 7.0 ERA. 0 for 5. 0 for 5. I saw the game box in terms of starting pitches for that game the other day between the Red Sox and a raise. Two very decent names, but the, you could have honestly guessed that the ERAs and whips were flipped for both guys between Sale and Tyler Glassnow, the guy that was part of the trade between the Pirates for Chris Archer, which I know we can bring this up with the Pittsburgh boys later on, but that trade was horrendous for them. I'm yeah. sorry. Austin Meadows and Tyler Glassnow are they're really good young guys right now. They They could have used in their system instead of going for it with Chris Archer. Yeah, yeah. But when we come back, we're going to dive into the story about Josh Rosen. What was going through the mind of everybody in Arizona on draft day? What was GM Steve Keim expecting to get in return for the guy? Final segment of the program. I saw this article come out. On Monday, it was from Sports Illustrated, Robert Klemko, NFL reporter for SI, and quite honestly, I don't think it's getting the publicity that it should, because some of the quotes and some of the the behind-the-scenes stuff that happened on Thursday night, on the first night of the draft, is pretty remarkable. Yeah. So... If you haven't seen this article yet, you can go look it up on SI.com. If not, we're going to summarize it right now for you. Like I said, from Robert Klemko. So it's basically Josh Rosen was like any human being. He didn't believe such thing was happening until it actually happened. Like you had hope it wasn't going to be the case. You had hope that you you weren't losing your job and you hoped that the unthinkable was not going to happen. That for the second time... In the history of the Common Draft era, a team was going to take a quarterback in the top 10, or in this case, top 5, I guess. Because Art Schleister was either 2nd or 3rd overall for the Baltimore Colts way back in 1982. But it was that back-to-back with Schleister and then John Elway. If you've read that story, where Elway forced his way out of Baltimore and basically threatened to play baseball if they didn't trade him to a team of his liking, which ended up being Denver. But it's like I said, it's very unprecedented what happened on Thursday night. And you can totally understand why Josh felt this way. While most of America thought it was a foregone conclusion for almost months now when Murray made known that he is playing football and focused on football, that this was happening because of the Cliff Kingsbury effect. But I just want to get into the details, Zach, real quick. What are you most, I don't know, what, what, perch your ears reading this article
1: um well honestly i feel like a lot of it well before we even really get into the article like i just don't understand why the media was just bashing rosen so much leading up to this or like on on thursday yes like i i just rosen and my from i haven't seen anything nothing that i saw stood out to me like oh this dude's a bad guy Anything like that, obviously, like no teammates came out and said, Oh, this guy's a douchebag, or anything to that effect. Mm -hmm. So, I I don't understand why or where all of this was coming from. And I think it's honestly just as you were saying earlier before the show, that's just to keep a narrative going. Um, no, it's just I don't know, it's an odd situation. And then, uh, with uh, Rosen had a quote too, he's just like. Honestly, if I wouldn't have been traded and he would have kept both, then I would have liked to compete, although I probably would have been disappointed because I wouldn't have gotten a fair shake because you're not going to take two quarterbacks in the first round, and then the second one you take at a higher draft pick. You're not going to then start the first guy that you had because then you're admitting that you made a mistake twice.
0: There's two things you can take immediately away from this article without even reading more than... I would say 10 paragraphs of this thing because it's pretty long. First off is that the misconceptions about Josh Rosen are out of control. You know, there's rumors that Arizona was not fond of how environmental friendly he was and how much an activist he was. And I think at one point he wanted the request, you know, those cleats that were made out of
1: like ocean
0: recycled plastic or whatnot. And the Cardinals didn't like the off the field aspect of that. Yes,
1: that's what's wrong with the NFL. Are you kidding me? The NFL, that's what's wrong with the NFL. There's too many people concerned about the environment, Colin. That's what's killing football.
0: You have guys on the Dallas Cowboys that are just smoking dope freely on Instagram live videos. But we're worried about a guy that's... Well, that's a different issue. It's a a completely different (laughs) issue. But the fact of the matter is is that the one group is doing something that's technically illegal by NFL standards. Correct. And the other is perfectly legal and (laughs) very much appreciated by society. Right. But it's one of those things is where they're trying to twist and turn his personality and almost to the effect to make their decision to go with Kyler Murray easier to accept. Like, it, they're trying to make it easier for their fan base, people that are in the sports world, anybody that's seen this news happen, that, okay, you know, maybe it is the right move. Maybe they are right that this guy has personality issues and that it's okay to go get this new guy and move him out. It's making excuses for the moves they're making because maybe you could just say you like his play on the field better.
1: Yeah, I mean, the... Well, also, too, because after Rosen was traded, he still played in Larry Fitzgerald's charity softball game. And then uh, I think he won, like, game MVP or something, and then, like, all the fans in attendance, like, gave him a standing ovation and everything. Right. So, like... from what I've seen and everything that's happened, like since the trade, like Rosen's at least saying and doing all of the right things. Whether or not it's genuine or not, it's a different story. Like it could be, but even if it's not, like he's doing everything the right way. Mm-hmm. And like in his uh, his video, he said, "Oh, Murray, if you're looking for some housing, I got a uh, I got an apartment. Uh, got an apartment that just uh, went on the market. So let me know. I can get you a good deal on it." I mean, he's trying to add a little bit of humor to the situation too. Sure, and which is honestly kind of probably a little difficult to deal with. I mean, Grandy's going from Phoenix, Arizona, to Miami, Florida. So I mean, the it's not see, a bad trade-off. The uh, scenery's a little bit better down there,
0: in Miami. The second part of what you can immediately take away from this article is that it can, it might not have been intended to smear the Cardinals, but it definitely didn't make them look good. And more importantly, Steve Kime the general manager of the Arizona Cardinals, who quite honestly is a piece of crap in his own right. You know, he's very well known for the drinky drinky. He goes and does that with the driving and whatnot and has made a lot of bad decisions and somehow has kept his job or has kept a position in the NFL, which you know what? There's a lot of stuff going on. It's none of my worries, but obviously his off the field, off the job life is a whirlwind, his on-the-job life, too, is pretty much in the same mold. So much so as, in this article, Klemko writes that Kime went to Murray and his agent and pretty much asked if he was fond of certain teams like the Patriots or something, and would it be worthwhile to trade him to those spots on draft night? Not weeks before the draft, on draft night itself when the value of the quarterback is going down. Right.
1: Yeah, they've known that they had the first overall pick since the end of the season. Yes. Murray stated months ago that he was going to play football. Mm hmm. And you wait until the 11th hour, the 59th minute of the 11th hour, to then try and get a little help and figure out how they can exactly make this work.
0: Right. And it's the responses from some teams kind of makes it seem like they hadn't even started negotiations until that night. I mean, you have on record an executive for the Washington Redskins when Kine was asking for a first-round pick for Rosen. Pretty much laughed in his face. Like, that's pretty bold for somebody that just picked a quarterback. Right. So, like, you don't have any leverage anymore. No, and they they really didn't.
1: They haven't for a couple months now because they waited so long. Like, I feel like if they would have tried to move Rosen— I mean, okay, so obviously they had conversations with Murray about, okay, we want you to play football and not baseball. But, I mean, surrounding that, around that time, is probably when you should have been looking to move Rosen to capitalize and get him at his highest uh, highest potential. But, no, instead you wait until Thursday night, first round of the draft, to then even ask the agent, Rosen, to try and help him figure out where exactly
0: he can move him. It's not that he just devalued his quarterback in the process. It's that he missed just the most prime opportunity. I mean, quarterbacks before the draft have value in the trade market, definitely. But Josh Rosen specifically had a lot more value than any quarterback that's going to be out there because he was a guy coming off a rookie season and how the CBA stacks up in terms of guaranteed money in the first season. $11 million of his $24 million were already paid for by the Cardinals. It's kind of a similar thing that happened with OBJ and the Giants. and They had paid most of his signing bonus already, so most of his money has already been off the books at this point. Yeah. So that I believe for the next four years, they only have to pay Josh Rosen, as in I'm talking about the Miami Dolphins that completed the trade, they only have to pay him $6 million over the next four years. Most of his money's already off the table. That is such a steal. So his entire signing bonus is already paid for, plus the base salary that he already had in place. $6 million is left on his deal with four years remaining. One of those years being an option, fifth-year option.
1: Uh, Cardinals messed up.
0: Like, you, you just blew this opportunity, and you have teams laughing at you.
1: Uh, okay, which one is worse? Are you, Do you find it more interesting and funny about the Cardinals situation or what the Giants did in the first round?
0: Wow, that's um, <laughs> that's really hard. You know what? I'll actually say the Cardinals. Because you know what? As much as we might think it might be dumb, you cannot fault the Giants for going with the guy they handpicked and thought was the best in their mind. At yeah, that point, true. you know what? Give them all the credit in the world. But you're the team with the first overall pick, had all the control in the world, and just threw it all to hell. And lost tons of value you probably could have gotten a first round pick for Rosen months ago and I'm shocked they got a second round pick for him yeah I was thinking third round I think every expert out there was thinking third round pick is going to be what's going to get him
1: next question who do you think is going to have a better NFL career will it be Murray I'll even I'll even throw in Rosen but Murray and Daniel Jones
0: I think Daniel Jones is a career backup so okay. I, he's out of the mix. Okay. I just, I don't like anything about him. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I've watched games that have included Duke and have come away very disappointed in what he brought to the table. And that, like I said, if you need an example, go watch that 59-7 game against Wake Forest. You'll be disgusted. Second point is the siding between Kyler Murray and Josh Rosen in terms of better career There's a lot of factors that come into it because I believe if Kyler Murray stays healthy, there's no doubt in my mind that guy can have a a Russell Wilson-type career arc and play to that level as long as he stays healthy. With Rosen, it's going to depend on what specifically the Dolphins build around him what Brian Flores can bring to that team in terms of the offensive staff that he has around him. I quite honestly don't know about his offensive coordinator, his passing game coordinator, all that jazz. Um, It doesn't look as positive. I actually do like what the Cardinals did in the draft. They drafted three wide receivers. They made it known that they are going to put whatever they can around Kyler Murray to make him successful. So while they did mess up this whole Rosen thing, they actually made up for it in a lot of different ways. So for their own team's sake, mm-hmm. you know, they drafted Hakeem Butler, the very good wide receiver out of Iowa state. I was very high on Andy Isabella, everybody from Northeast Ohio was, was very high on him. His career at Massachusetts was amazing. He's notorious for beating Denzel Ward in track in, like, state championships here back in Ohio. Uh, nice little slot guy. And you still have Larry Fitz there. So the beginning of his career is going to be very nice. If those guys can produce at the level you're expecting, plus whatever you can get out of Larry Fitz going forward. Right. Um, I th- have more confidence that I can expect Murray to play longer, mm-hmm. but I'm deathly as- afraid that he can't play long-term because of his size and taking hits in this league. Right but if you had to you put a gun to my head i'm taking kyler. Okay. I think that's probably the most fair answer to give. Fair enough. But in terms of just what went deeper into this whole Josh Rosen thing, um at one point they felt kind kind of went into different phases of this whole thing like denial that he couldn't get a, a trade done and then he's like, "Okay, you know what? We might as well keep him because the percentage of quarterbacks almost Half the teams have to go to a backup quarterback each year. Statistically speaking, that's what happens. So they're like, you know what? If we keep them, we keep them, and it's, it's we, that's a hell of a backup, right?
1: Well, right, but also at the same point, besides the Browns, who else is drafting quarterbacks in back-to-back years in
0: the first round? Not very often. Like I said, it was yeah. The only other team to do it that high in a draft was the Baltimore Colts back in eighty-two and eighty-three. Right. Um. But speaking directly about, it's great. He he would have been a cheap backup. Statistically talking about his money, what's left on the deal for Rosen, would Mm -hmm. have been a cheap backup. Right. But there's that factor of almost, I, I want to tie it back into the Tyra Taylor and Baker Mayfield battle. There was always the looking over your shoulder. If you did something wrong, you know, there's that number one overall pick waiting there, and you give them the opportunity, you might not get it back. Yeah. Keeping Rosen there would have done the exact same thing for Kyler if he would have went out and struggled. Oh, why would you go away from him? Oh, you guys made two mistakes. Yada, yada, yada. Yad. Well, see, I,
1: see, I think that's where it's going to fall into there's what the fans would want, and then there's what the GM is going to do. Sure, Because I think the GM would have definitely been, kind of would have been stubborn-headed with it. He would have rolled with Murray as long as he could physically and healthily go out there and play, uh, just to prove that, okay, I'm not wrong. Whereas, okay, with the whole, like, Tyrod Baker situation was just, everything about the beginning of last year was just weird, and I'll... Only really remember Tyrod for one thing, and that was the throw to Callaway against the Saints. Sure. That's the only thing. That and then I'm not going to say I'm happy with any injury, but Tyrod Taylor went down at the exact right time in order for this Baker saga to begin.
0: Absolutely. Especially on prime time like that. Prime time. We're down early.
1: Baker comes in before half just throwing bullets. And saves the game. Saves the franchise. (laughs) Franchise saving.
0: You're right. But another thing that Rosen brought up, and he was very vocal about it when this selection came to be, is that he knew there was no way he was ever going to be able to battle for the position. While he said he had no problem staying around and battling for the position, he knew he was never going to get a fair shot at it. Right. And because of that is because if he ever won that job, they would have made two mistakes in terms of talking about Arizona. Yeah. You know, why did you draft him? <clears throat> Yeah. Why didn't you get?
1: Yeah, like You're wasting the first overall pick of the draft.
0: Essentially, essentially, just like for the, the,
1: just for the guy you already had. The only way that they that the Cardinals would have looked like geniuses is if, say, Kyler Murray got hurt, and I don't even think that it'd be much of of being a genius as it is, I guess, call it lucky that okay, your first overall draft pick got hurt, but here, you have this. Uh, Essentially, coming into a second year, another first-round quarterback. So, I mean, I, guess, I don't want to call it lucky to have someone be injured, but, I mean, you would have a solid backup.
0: But the narrative I feel would come away from that is, oh, you should have just stayed with that guy in the first place and you're yes, not wasting yes. your number one overall pick. Correct, correct, It's always going to come back to that. Correct. I get what you're saying. But even leading up to that, with the, the each day that Rosen was still with the Cardinals post-selecting Kyler, the more of a microscope both of those guys would have been under, yeah, and it would have been a disservice to not only Rosen but to Murray too. And
1: also too, I will, I like to think that the Cardinals are also um, they're a little bit more under the microscope from the fan base more than they would have been say when if the AAF season continued, with the Hotshots would have won the AAF championship, they sure. wouldn't. Uh, the fan base definitely would have been a little distracted and like. Yeah, well, we might have messed this up with our number one overall pick, but hey, at least we have the AAF title.
0: Can they claim the title like UCF did? Well, it, every
1: the the normal sports fan in me says it should go to the the Orlando Apollos, who the the Browns actually have two players from now. That's right, cornerback you know, Garrett court, Gilbert, the yeah, and then uh, wide receiver too. So I believe uh, what was his name, uh, Ishmael. Um, Hyman His last name's Hyman Oh
0: that's right Israel Hyman Yes that's right
1: So I I feel like it should Go to the Apollos Although they did have One One lone loss And that was to the Hotshots So I think based off of that It would tiebreaker goes to the winner Yeah I mean The Hotshots can't help That the That the Apollos Played in the worst Worst conference in the uh, in the AAF.
0: I mean, there was only eight teams. <laughs>
1: I mean, yeah, but uh, they had the the Memphis Express with uh, the Fighting Johnnies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I mean, I I think I that. Guess. So no, I I am crowning the the Hotshots champions.
0: All right. Well, P. that's a great way that. Well, you know, <laughs> we, we might as well just add on that. Um, for Zach, this is CB Bundy and as usual. You know what? He's just a special guest at this point. I said that before, and I'll say it again. Very, very special. (laughs) Very, very special indeed. (laughs) Thank you for listening. If you made it through this, go Jackets, go Tribe, go Browns, whatever you want. It's Um, BJ season. Cup run. Cup run and cannot wait for training camp. But we will talk to you next week.